Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 73 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. As we all know, losing a child is always horrible and devastating. It rocks you to your core and makes parents feel like a part of them has been lost forever. No matter what the cause of death, the loss is tremendous. But there are certain losses that make grief even more complicated. One of those types of death loss is when you lose your loved one to suicide. I feel like in those cases, people really don't know how to treat the loved ones who are left behind after suicide. Today's guest, Carolyn, talks about her grief journey following the death of her 21-year-old son, whom today we are calling Jimbo. She always calls him Jimmy, and we'll call him Jimmy throughout the episode, but since I had another Jimmy's mom on less than a month ago. She decided to go with Jimbo for the title. He often went by Jimbo as a nickname to his friends and family, so she knows that this title will give them a little bit of a smile. Now, almost three years later, Carolyn is really working in her community to try to decrease suicide rates. You can't see risk for suicide from the outside. Most of Jimmy's friends certainly had no idea the struggles that he was experiencing in life. Carolyn really hopes that through increased education, she can help decrease suicide rates. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carolyn. I am really looking forward to our talk. And to hear more about your son, Jimbo, because we are calling him Jimbo today because you are the second person I've interviewed this month who had a son, Jimmy. So tell us about Jimmy or Jimbo. Well, thank you for having me. And and again, thank you for all that you're doing with these podcasts. I I find them very helpful. And um, I'm honored to be talking to you today. So yeah, Jimmy was our, our third child. You know, we have three children. Our oldest is a daughter then a son and then Jimmy was our youngest boy and you know he came out of the gate fun never a dull moment very left-handed very artistic and creative I I always used to joke that it took us till high school to get him out of his cape you know he just loved (laughs) all holidays especially Halloween Christmas very lively had lots Mm -hmm. of friends you know very friendly you know so he's just always fun to go out with because he seemed like he always attracted people everywhere he went you know Mm -hmm. How, what were the age differences between your kids? Jimmy was being the youngest. There was seven years between Jimmy and Mike and then uh, nine years between Jimmy and Jackie, who's our oldest daughter. Oh, so he's a little bit of a tag along, wasn't he? He was a tag along, but just like my, they always said, and my oldest son reminded me this week, he just, it was just always so fun to come home and be with Jimmy, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so. Oh Yeah. 
I see those all the time as a pediatrician. The ones that are quite a bit younger, I have a, I tell you, have a tendency to be spoiled a little bit sometimes by those older siblings. They are, well, can be the problem. Mm-hmm. I know. And he was really. I have whole conversations about discipline with families and say, you know what? You know who the problems are? That big brother and sister, they're your problems. I know you're doing a good job, but you need to talk to them. That well, just because they look cute, you can't give them everything they want. I know it's true. And Jimmy was known for speed. He was a really fast sprinter. So his brother uh-huh. Mike always takes credit in his friends because they because they say, oh, he chased Jimmy around, you know. They, you know, yeah, they right. they lure him to the basement and scare him and chase him, or you know, they go around the house. <laughs> So when Jimmy was winning all these awards in track, his brother would say, hey, I take some credit for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Seven years different. He was just down. Well, then in Jackie was a sprinter. So, you know, this is a great memory. So she went back when he was a senior in high school and helped coach the girls. So they have a lot of they had a lot of moments together, you know, where oh, they share. Yeah, it was really special and very nice. Yeah super fun yeah yeah he's very athletic you know what when, when we realized he was going to be athletic we had no idea and, and I remember he you know played in a football game and he ran a 95 yard touchdown and Pete and I my husband and I just looked at each other and we said we're like was that Jimmy <laughs> we just started laughing because we're like <laughs> from- isn't that funny when that happens yeah, I have to say, so, you know, at the very end of my podcast, there's always that solo of Andy singing yeah. and he's singing the last verse to away in the manger. And I knew he had a good voice. I mean, I knew he did. Right. We had put him in yeah. the choir. That was like his third or fourth year in the choir. So I, but he hadn't really sung a solo like that before. So I knew he was given the solo. And so I'm sitting there at the rehearsal that night and Andy gets up that he's going to sing the solo and he starts singing. And I'm like, Oh my word, this is amazing. I had no idea he was this good. And so then I'm like trying to listen and then I'm fumbling with my phone to try to record it. And so that's when the director actually said to me afterwards, he he turned to Andy and he said, that was perfection. And then he turned to me and he said, did you get all that on, on the video? And I said, no, I only got the last 13 seconds because I was so blown away. Yes. I just couldn't believe that he did it. So then he said, well, Andy, you're going to have to do it again. And he turned to Andy and they started over and he had to sing the whole solo again so I could record it. And then what a blessing that was to me. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, eight months later he was killed and I have that memory of that time. And then the coolest thing about that is that he sang that for me. I mean, he didn't need to sing it again. He didn't need to rehearse it again. But the director wanted me to have a copy of it. And then it has been, you know, a a huge blessing. We obviously, we played it at his funeral. I play it every week on the podcast. And, but it is funny when your child ends up being like way more amazing than you expect them to be. Yeah, all three of the kids are like that. I mean, I I know they are, but Jimmy would just sometimes blow us away, you know, and then then again, when his speed showed up, we go, where'd this come from? You know, he can really run, you know? Oh, yeah. I know. And we have, we have those recorded too. You know, we have lots of recordings. So I'm Isn't glad. Isn't that fun? 
to yeah. be able to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is fun. It's bittersweet. It still yep. it makes me sad too to listen and to watch it. And I have to be in a certain mood. There are certainly days that I put that on the end and I don't listen to it because I just can't yep. handle it that day. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. true. Like I listen to your podcast and I can see one came out yesterday. I read it. But because I was going to be interviewed today, I thought, no, I'm not going to, I'm not ready to listen to that. Do you know what I mean? And I'll listen to mm-hmm. it when I get into a different frame of mind. So I understand exactly. that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I know. I've had people uh, say to me, yeah, yours is a podcast that you don't binge listen to, that you don't listen to like eight <laughs> of them in a row. Like, nope, you are right. You do not. Not, not Although like actually the woman yesterday, you're going to like her. She she is great. But she drives from North Carolina to Pennsylvania and she will binge listen to oh. a whole bunch of them on that drive. And she's found it so great. I'm glad she did. But she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would depend on the day. I think a, a certain yeah, day. I think it drive. depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't you now go into talk about what happened to Jimmy and what was going on with him? Yeah, you know, I'd say, you know, he had different times. You know, I can think back now to when he was skiing one time and he hit his head. You know, he, he ended up with, with head injuries, right? He had concussions. But mm-hmm. the one I remember the most, it was his junior year and it was during practice. And it's my friend who also lost her son to suicide her son got his worst concussion during practice. We found it interesting. You know, if you, mm-hmm. if you don't pay, like he didn't play defense, a bigger player came in and just kind of cleaned mm-hmm. his clock, whatever, whatever. Right. So when he yeah. came home that night, I remember looking at him and he said to me, you know, I don't feel like I'm inside my body anymore. Like, I feel like I'm outside of my body. And I said, I, I think wow. you're good. You know what I mean? I, and, and, and I remember talking to him about football and I said, you're fast and in soccer wanted him because he's fast. You know what I mean? Cross country yeah. wanted him. It was, it was just, you know how when you have a gift, every, you know, yeah, you're wanted. And I, and I remember telling him, you have to be very careful. And it wasn't just his size. He was smaller. My friend whose son died of suicide was six, three, you know what I mean? And Jimmy was five, six, five, seven. He wasn't really tall. And you know? it's like more like my dad, but anyway, so we he did go see a sports doctor you know and I said we saw more depression that winter I think when you leave your sports it even makes you sad when you leave football yes. they yes. they kind of make, they make fun of you you know that really so this was 2013 this is really be just as the movie concussion was being talked about and you know the the doctor you know was talking mm-hmm. more about concussions in football and the link to CTE so he used to research CTE. He thought for sure he had it. He, you know, that's how he, that's how he was. So it wasn't until like after he graduated and I, and we may have found a, a functional neurologist just before that time, someone who kind of works more with your eyes. And I don't know if you've heard of functional neurologists, but you know, we had mm-hmm. tried all kinds of different doctors to try to help him feel better and you know, where bright lights wouldn't bother him. And he really didn't talk about suicide. He talked about depression, but um, even then nobody really said, oh, maybe you should have this screener there and a safety plan, right? Nobody really talked about Mm -hmm. the potential for suicide. Yeah. And then he was, you know, down enough that we had him, you know, we, we knew he had some suicidal thoughts and we, we had him go into the hospital for a little while, but even in the hospital, they just give you like an antidepressant. There isn't really any talking about it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, 
to, you know, he's going through college, he's going a little bit slower because, you know, he didn't really process things as well and got overwhelmed a little more easily. Which really seemed a result of that concussion, of that bad concussion. Yeah, I think or... it's that. And I think that, you know, like I know that he had, o- I know that he had OCD, you know, they said he had mm-hmm. OCD with intrusive thoughts. I don't have that. And so I don't understand so much the intrusive thoughts, you know, but mm-hmm. um, he did see a psychologist for it. But he was pretty much in 2016, we met, uh, you know, I introduced him to Father Dominic and Father Dominic, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of took him under his wing. And Jimmy felt really good. It was like my best year, my favorite year with my children. And I think I sent a picture of you with all of them on a sailboat. Yes. I I think as a mom, it was my favorite month of my life because all three of my children were feeling good. Does that make sense? They're all healthy and, Mm -hmm. and feeling good. So at any rate, he, in December of 2017, he just accidentally got hit in the head again and he came home to live just for six months. It was just like he, we had a living arrangement change, right? And he was home and we watched the movie Concussion and I asked him questions. I said, what are your symptoms? I, I did get worried. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, the lights are still bright. That's kind of never gone away. I still don't focus as well. And I said, okay. I said, well, which doctor should we go see? And he went back to the functional neurologist. He was going to make an appointment, which he did. Mm-hmm. So he went to see her, I think two weeks before he left us. And I asked him how that appointment went. He said, good. He said, but my balance isn't off. I said, was there, you know, anything else we should do? And I remember in that time frame asking him because he was in the nursing school at Northern, should you talk to your nursing advisor? And he said, no. And then I, I left the week before I left us to go downstate because my daughter was in pharmacy school to see her. Um, I had some training downstate and to see her give a big presentation, you know, they had, she had to give a presentation. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't home when he, he left us. So, and and we were worried about him. I said, you know, he's off. I go, is he okay? You know, and he talked to my daughter a little bit, but I don't, not everybody in the family even knew that he wasn't feeling as well because he was, you know, you try you're trying to teach your children, right. To find the resources that they need. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. To be resilient, I would say. Resilient. Yep. And, and, um, but I talked to him on that Saturday which was February 24th and I was downstate and I accidentally FaceTimed him and I'm so glad I did now. But, I, you know, now I, in hindsight, I look back and he had his hood kind of up over his head and he, he hadn't been doing that for very long. But what are you going to say to your child? Why are you, why is your hood up? You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, do you want him to be that self-conscious that, the, you know what I mean? Well, they have their hood on. Yeah, right. He's, he's right, going to be gone right. tomorrow. You know what I mean? How do you link that? And uh, I just know that I woke up, I was sick because I had, a, I had like a cold and I woke up at, mm-hmm. on that Sunday at one in the morning, which is when they say that he left us. And I all of a sudden woke up and didn't feel good. And it's as though I knew, you know what I mean? And I got up and slept on the floor of all weird things. I never do that. I never do that. Yeah. And I remember the next day I couldn't get a hold of him on the phone. And I told my husband that I said, you know, I can't get a hold of Jimmy. And then he wasn't able to, to reach him. You know, we went to lunch, but I was sad. I don't know how to explain it, but I had a sad lunch and I didn't know, you know what I mean? But I knew. Yeah. Yeah, I knew and I drove eight hours home, you know, from lower Michigan up to the UP and, and I stopped to take a picture because I take pictures and I overlooked Marquette and I said, wow, is it ever sad looking today? So in the meantime, my husband already knew, you know, he had left the house. He, it was only, it only happened a quarter of a mile away. He went to his thinking spot. 
Oh, is that what he did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, he was on this 90 day challenge of eating better and not drinking. And so when I left, I remember assessing it and going, you know what? He's engaged with people. He's interacting. Yeah. He's out. He's not drinking. You know, that's a risk factor for anything, you know, bad. Sure. Well, he went out and bought some whiskey, which I don't drink, but he bought some that night. And then I think that's what brought, you know, then all in- inhibitions were gone. Right. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. 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 And, um, and then he just made a spontaneous kind of decision there when he was not in the, his right mind and mm-hmm. right right mm-hmm. and and so I wrote I wrote what happened on a piece of paper an eight by ten eight and a half by eleven piece of paper right and I I put it in a frame for the funeral because I said to my children they go why are you putting this out here I said I can't tell this story a hundred times it was the second biggest funeral in our area at our church at St. Peter Cathedral ever right he really mm-hmm. touched a lot of people and it wasn't just our family. You know what I mean? I, it broke a lot of people's hearts, not just mine, you know, and I, I, I would imagine you saw that with your son, you know? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, you have this feeling it was, and I remember thinking on my drive home, you know what, maybe we need to bring him somewhere else like U of M, right? Maybe we need to go to the concussion center. And I was a day late, you know what I mean? Which is even sadder because I I'll always feel like I missed it. You know what I mean? Like you were thinking about it, but yeah. And then I asked him, like I said, and then even with the nursing school, one professor stopped teaching after Jimmy left us because she deals with head injuries and concussions and mental health and said there's not enough in this area. And I was one person away from her, you know what I mean? Because I remember saying, don't you think we should tell your advisor? And you, he's 21 going on 22. So at that age, you can't you can't do everything for them anymore. Like if they're 16, right. You're going to say, well, how about this? I I know that you might be not comfortable, but I'm your parent and I really advise this, right. You're. Mm -hmm. It's a huge difference. Once they pass 18, Mm -hmm. you just really lose so much ability to be able to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, cause I deal with a lot of parents too. And this COVID pandemic has brought about so much anxiety and depression, and I have had more than one of my patients uh, attempt suicide in the past couple of months here, and that's been just horrible, obviously, for the parents to go through. Fortunately, they have survived, but it's just so hard, and it's been especially hard for those parents I have who have 17-year-olds because they feel like the, t- the clock is ticking. And as soon as they hit that 18th birthday, they can lose all ability to be able to control what's going on, you know? Right. Well, then, then and then what happened is, I, I think it was two months, and it was April of 2018, and I, I was, you know, how I'm, I don't know if you can relate to this, I'm having my coffee and I'm crying, you know, it's only two sure. months. And I'm having a moment and I just have to look on the computer and I look up zero suicide. And all of a sudden I see this program at the Henry Ford Health System. And I see this thing. Which is in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Detroit. And I go, oh my gosh. And then I read about it. And it's like, oh my gosh, in 10 years, they reduce suicides by 80%. I go, why doesn't anyone talk about this? All you ever hear is that they're going to do it if they want to, right? You can't stop it. You hear all this negative or someone dies and you don't hear the whole story and then they have to do some something in their name and they tell them to call the suicide hotline, which is a great resource, but it's one, right? It wasn't going to get us where we needed to go with Jimmy. So I just reached out and 
I got to their hospital who then sent me to their media department. And I said my name and what had happened and said, please call me. And Dr. Amadani called me of all things. I was in the field working one day and I couldn't even believe that he called me. And when I told him about Jimmy, he said, oh yeah, there's a good chance that this could have helped him, right? And I said, yeah. well, we have to get this message out. And so I, I said, if I can, you know, if we can raise the money, would you, would you be willing to come up and speak? And, and he told me that he does this and goes around the country, right? And lo and behold, mm -hmm. you know, then right after Jimmy, so this is now May, I get this message that another mom, a friend of a friend's son passed of suicide, right? And then another friend, mm -hmm. two weeks later, you know, some other people tell me about another person I went to high school with who lost their sons or her son to suicide, right? And I go, oh my gosh. So I do my best to reach out because I'm not really firing on all cylinders, right? I don't have a, mm -hmm. I, I don't have abundant energy yeah. at this time, but I did reach out and I'm so grateful for my two friends. And then another teacher that joined us who's a, who has a daughter that's younger that has anxiety, but she was a retired special ed teacher. And between the four of us, we, we were able to raise enough money to get Dr. Amadani up to our area twice. Wow. And he spoke with the hospital staff. He spoke with social workers. He spoke at our church because we Northern was doing renovations. And, I, and, and in that time frame, I, what's interesting is how many people told me they had a family member or someone or, you know, that had attempted to take their life. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did see a lot of those faces show up to find out what can they do. Right. So the hope is, and what I found that I wish we had known about is they have, if you've seen that QHP nine depression screener, it's a, the PHQ nine. Mm -hmm. I give it all the time. Yes. And so, you know, I think in Jimmy's case, for sure, he would have tested positive, right? And when mm -hmm. we went to the doctor, uh, he was honest. And they say people who are suicidal don't say it. But if you ask them the question, they'll answer it. Honestly. They will. Yes. Yeah. And and the other thing that's such a fallacy is that people think I don't want to bring up suicide because it'll put it in their head. That's just garbage. It's it's right. in their head already or not. So right voicing it, saying it, asking. I mean, I just have seen, I, I see teens with anxiety and depression now kind of all the time. And I ask them point blank every time, have you thought about hurting yourself? Right. And they usually are quite honest with me. Yes, I have. The last time was a long time ago, or I've been thinking about that recently. They're very open about it if you ask. And then I talk to parents about the fact that you need to ask, you need to bring it up because it's not going to give them the idea. It's only going to make you aware if they really are. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, I would ask him, but I didn't always say, are you thinking of hurting yourself again? I remember asking him that he goes, Oh mom, I have hope. Right. And we've been, we had been told he was in a remission and he was so open that I'd say, what are your symptoms? Well, they don't always answer that, but yeah. how would I know if I'm not told that I, I we didn't look at it so often you look at treating the depression or the OCD or those thinking the suicidal thoughts will go away but you always have to focus on the suicidal thoughts right yes you, you, you yes. can't ever lose sight of that so then we almost had a safety plan because I said oh, remember when you were feeling good we always said what will we go back and do right which is mm -hmm. similar to a safety plan right Mm -hmm. my conversation with him but we didn't write it all down and I don't I, I know for a fact that where he went 
the people we would go see would just tell him he had a good life. They weren't on board, right? Yeah. So the difference is you can. That's you, not helpful. It's no, not helpful so you, to say that to so people can, at all. Right. You can you can go to a um, social worker or, or no, you can go to a um, like a suicide prevention little meeting, right? But that's not your doctor. And what they found at Henry Ford is, I think it's sixty four percent of them go to the doctor within a year. And almost 40%, which was Jimmy, you know, they go two weeks before they leave you. So they're there mm -hmm. in your office. So you're not going to change that behavior, right? We all want to try to change that. So they went with what's going on. If that Does that make sense? They, yeah. They're capturing those patients because they're looking at that behavior and they know where to go capture them. So it's not happening here, you know, like it wasn't happening when we would go to the doctor. And, and I'm telling you. Jimmy loved his doctors. His doctors loved him. This isn't to fault where they were, but I don't think the training's there. Um, right. And I do think things are getting better in that regard. In the, If I think back to several years ago, we didn't used to screen every teen when they came in. And now we do. Right. We do. So we do, we do, uh, a PHQ two is what we were doing. And now we do a PHQ four actually. So it says two depression questions and two anxiety questions that we ask. Yep. And then yep. if either of those are positive, then we will go on and give that PHQ nine, which you said is a depression screening or what's called a GAD seven, which is an anxiety screening just to be able to kind of see where they are and intervene earlier, because there are definitely kids that we have picked up that we wouldn't have picked up. And there are right. some kids that we pick up whose parents didn't know. I mean, most of the time when you say this came back positive, I usually say this came back positive. Does that surprise you? You know, because uh, just to see what kind of insight they may have had. And most of the time it's no, that doesn't surprise me. I've been a little worried. And then we can start the conversation. But occasionally you get someone who is totally blown away. They had no idea. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So when you do know, though. And in our case, we did know he had, you know, years ago that he had suicidal thoughts. That's when you go through the safety plan with a family, right? You do. Yes. And you, you, and, and you, that never goes away. And then you also, when you talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, prayer and meditation were really good for Jimmy. Well, why I didn't really link it. I don't talk in those terms, right? We just right. knew we went out of our way for him to either work at, um, he was at the Catholic campus ministry, but sometimes he'd go work at the Methodist, you know, Bible camp. He liked all religions. So he, but this was very, very good for him. But little do we know that that was a, that was his form of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? That sure. And so they, they you kind of have to link that information and everybody's different. Maybe someone, you know, is going to go more to music or your son saying, right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. that's all positive you have positive music going in and then it's just the continuum of care right that you can go back in and your social worker or doctor would sit and go look through how is your safety plan right how are these yeah. working for you how is this and you make adjustments based on not just an antidepressant but you'd look at the cognitive behavioral therapy and your safety plan right and make sure everybody's on board and so now it seems hindsight's 2020. And that's what I wrote to you. I said, I just have these moments. I just feel such guilt, right? Because now I have all the answers. And I, I, I'm like a day late and a dollar short, right? Yeah, that's hard. It's very that's painful. Hard. 
So you wanted to talk about some kind of four, was it four step, not four steps. What was it that you said? Oh, those four steps Early. that I mentioned, it was the, it's yeah, the P- okay. nine screener, right? And that's, and then it's your safety plan. And then it's uh, the cognitive behavioral therapy and a continu- continuum of care. So if you okay. look and approach anyone who's down in this pandemic, which is a lot of people, those mm-hmm. look, look toward those four areas instead of just one and, and approach it from, like you said, are you, are you thinking of hurting yourself or do you have suicidal thoughts and that, oh, you have such a good life and things are going to get better, right? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So those were the things that we had, we wish we had known. Yeah. yeah. And then, I, you know, I identify with you and many that have been on your podcasts when you lose a child, it is hard and um, the grief is different, but I don't think my grief with the way Jimmy left us is any different than the grief of a, some other parent that lost a child in a different way. But yet yeah. sometimes you're told. Talk oh about God. that. I yeah. think how how that has been for you and how you maybe are treated a little differently than me, for example. Uh, you are for sure. So it could be a cancer um, death or a, an accident. Both are unexpected. Both yeah. are viewed that the person, had, you know, especially if they had no, you know, it was an accident, not by their hands. You know what I mean? The cancer is not by their yeah. hands, but then they'll look at suicide and say, well, they made that decision. And, by their own hand it's very different it's very judgmental I don't think they realize that most suicidal patients or almost all don't really want to die and they'll tell you that if they survive they'll they'll usually thank people that they didn't go so there's a misunderstanding about suicide and and yeah there really is will they make it to heaven right you hear are are they going to make it to heaven Mm -hmm. of course they will you know because they aren't in yeah. the right, they are not in their right mind. They, they are, are not, not. when they leave. So it's, but it's a, it's a very horrifying area to be in and very overwhelming to, to even climb out of when you kind of are at the bottom of the way a child could die. <laughs> You're at the bottom right. of the heap. You know what I mean? You're at the- right, right. <laughs> and people kind of act like you are too. Well, even grief, um, the resources I found were difficult you know, like you do, there was nothing. Yeah. There, there mm. was really, it's really hard because this is out of order, right? You're not supposed to out, outlive your children. You know how you said they have made the decision to end their life. Right. Well, they really didn't have the correct state of mind to make a decision at all. Right. So it really wasn't a decision so much because everything going on in your head is so fumbled, right? They're just, not thinking clearly at all so for to have people even say well they made that decision well yes and no not really because the thoughts are so just destructive that they're not even really their own thoughts then at that point in time right they're not thinking in this kind of logical way because if they were they would think about the outcome and they would think about, wow, this would really hurt my family. This would really hurt mom and dad. But that's not how they're thinking. At that moment in time, it's like that pain is so great. And they think, 
oh, I'm ruining everybody's life. I'm making other people worse because they're all worried about me. It would be better off if I weren't here anymore. But those aren't logical thoughts. So right. I just don't think they are really in a place that they're making a decision even. So that right. anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I appreciate your saying that because I've said I've talked to other people who have lost family members to suicide and they're they're their thought process is, oh, they made that decision. And I, and I said, don't you think these four, what, what would, what do you think of these four points that I went through, right? The screener and the safety plan and the cognitive behavioral therapy and continuum of care, would that have changed anything? And I think it's so painful. They're unable to go look at that, right? Mm -hmm. When you realize that something's out there that's been working and you didn't find it. Yeah. But I know someone who survived a connective tissue um, cancer. She's still a five-year survivor in her 50s. And, I, and she was told that not to have surgery. And I know a young man that just died from it, that, you know, not surgery, but treatment, right? She, she's yeah. changed her diet. So, you know, when I looked at, we're all looking for solutions, right? And you don't always get them. I heard you say 10 seconds later, you know, that accident probably wouldn't have happened, right? Everybody goes through right. what if you have something, it's because I know it, then, you know, I think in our group, we we're happy we shared it, even though we, I think there are only a couple of resources in our area doing this, but it's better than, it's better than no start at all, right? It's a marathon, not a sprint. So what's happening up there around you now with regards to this? The screenings, just like, like you mentioned, that screening is going on. Um, the next mm -hmm. step that I wish that if it was a positive screener, you know, that they actually would go through and talk about these other three steps, which would be, you know, I, I'm going to give you an example of a safety plan. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I would, you know, it, I think if you could sit down with their family, it, you know, maybe, maybe what's missing are social workers to be able to work with patients and families to create those, look at yeah. different cognitive behavioral therapy, what is it and what, what would possibly work for different patients, right? Because you can get a lot, you know, on your own if you know where to go, right? For, for yeah. types of cognitive behavioral therapy and then just follow visits, right? Back continuum of care, meaning come back, let's tweak this. We can work together, but not to lose sight of your goal, right? So it makes it more manageable to work on. Talk about that program that this doctor kind of, did he found it? Yeah, you know what, it was actually this doctor, Catherine Frank, who was the lead, and he works in, he, he works, you know, in that program also, but he, he's the one who goes around the country and talks about it to different people, Okay. you know, as far as, as this goes. And yeah, they've had an 80% reduction in suicides, and now it's been almost 20 years, and they have different statistics, again, that state how many... I think it's, what did I say, 64% of those people who attempt uh, suicide, they visit the doctor within a year. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. their program's very successful. Very good. So talk about these friends of yours and how they have been a support for you, because I think that's really huge when you have a community like that to be able to help you. Yeah, you know what, it, it's been very bittersweet for all, all of us to, to get together, but it's been I think it was just very God-led, you know, everything mm -hmm. fell into place, the money fell into place, we worked together very well, 
you know, I, I offered them the opportunity to, to work on it. And um, I know it was real recent for us, but um, all three of us, but who had lost sons, but for, I, I think that we all agree that we wouldn't have, we had the best information right away. Uh, it's a, it's a friendship that is unlike any other, you know, yeah. Which, you know, it's just very different because it's very loving. They feel more like sisters in a way, you know, we can reach out to each other and, and talk about the pain, you know, or where we're at and lift each other up. We focused on, we've been careful because we're all very different about how we grieve, but we focused on resources and we created a, a grief support group for a while or at least okay. a half year. And, and we helped get better books in our library so people could search for grief and more updated books. And we would give out books to people and share them and share with each other. And, you know, we had different people who had losses. So it's a very strong friendship and I am very grateful and thankful for them because it, I, I know that I wouldn't be where I am today without those friends. It's really tremendous. I can't even emphasize enough how helpful that is because your own friends and family are wanting to help you, certainly, but they're not in the same place that you are. And to have another mom, in our case, that is living that same thing is tremendously helpful. Yeah. I, I had somebody on not too long ago or someone that I was talking to anyway, who had lost her son and was trying to talk with family members. And one of the family members said, well, he was my nephew, too. I, we lost him, too. And like, that is not the same. And I know that the loss of a nephew is certainly a challenge and really hard but it's not the exact same. So com to compare grief amongst different family members that they're all exactly the same, they're really not. So if you can find someone that feels like it's closer, it can be a huge help. And maybe it's because the older children were so much older than Jimmy that um, like for us, we were tripping over each other in our grief, you know, so... We, this was our all of our biggest loss to date and it, we are all grieving at the same time and then you want to help each other and it's almost a nightmare I, I don't even know any other any other word than it's 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 a grief nightmare at some point so I, mm -hmm. I my friend who had lost a son sent me something on spark of life a grief retreat and I I said, I think I have to go. And of course, the family members go, oh, I'll support you. Yeah. <laughs> I go, right. okay. Thank you. Yeah, we went to Colorado and it was a very painful, intense weekend. But it was such a, an eye opener. And my children will say to me, you're, it, I know it's painful because you're Jimmy's mom, but it's as painful for us. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. And we all talked about how we grieve. So that I think we were able to navigate and help each other better. That's great. Yes, because it was really hard. And now we do talk about that was our biggest loss to date. We all understand that no one's grief is more important than the others, you know, no, or pa no, more painful no. than the others. They're not going to understand me as much because I, I gave birth. So there's, you know, the difference in my connection, but I'm not always going to understand you know, he wasn't my 
sibling, you know what I mean? So they're right. You know, right. And your sibling, you do kind of expect that you are going to grow old with them and that they will be there yeah. forever. Right. Yeah. You, so yeah. that is a difference like that, that they have to live through is this brother that I had that was supposed to be there forever. Right. right? We were supposed yeah. to lose mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and all these other people we, we were supposed to lose, but Jimmy should have still been there. Right. So oh, when Jimmy's sure. not, that's big. And the other thing too, is I, say this so much about how the siblings try to protect the parents so much and so they oftentimes don't process their grief as well as they should and and do as much with it just because all they're trying to do is protect us yes I would agree Mm -hmm. with you and 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 my oldest son goes to the hunting blind that was Jimmy's hunting blind and and he goes and he does cry every year you know Mm -hmm. Jimmy just the in November before he left us wrote his name in there you know but he gets to look at his name and we have a picture in there and so yeah it's bittersweet for him every time he goes but he wants to be where he spent a lot of time with his brother sitting in there so it's like every year there's something different and I agree with you that that the kids they wanted to protect me too so Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. sure absolutely they do Yeah, I think back to just this past weekend, we used to always do a lot of cross-country skiing. We'd go up north and we'd cross-country ski. We we talked earlier about how we're Scandinavian family, so we enjoy the snow and do stuff in the snow. But as a family, we always did, and Andy was my biggest cross-country skier. I mean, gosh, that kid would be out on those skis, and he'd just zip around. He was so fast. And he would be always coming back and checking on me and making sure I was okay when we went out as a family. He would go out on the cross-country skis and just go around the yard. I mean, he loved it. So since he died in 2018, I have not wanted to go at all. I just got, right before he died, we had, I'd gotten me, myself new skis, new boots. I had all this stuff. And I've not used it at all. And we finally went out last weekend. And they went out to a nice place my son and my husband and I said I'm not up for that we'll just go we our house up north is right across from a cherry orchard we'll just go out in the orchard so we just went out in the orchard and I sobbed the whole time I mean I skied for like an hour and I never stopped crying because all I could do is all I could see Andy 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 everywhere so that's like the deer blind I think you know you end up feeling like at some point in time kind of want to do that because it was a big part of our life together and it was something that we did as a family it's something that the brothers did together so you feel like you want to do that but on the other hand it's so incredibly painful well yeah I mean I went to the location where he left us and and uh, everybody wants to go there to begin with or pray there and it took me a while to go and it's somewhere I'd never been with with him and it had no power over me. It's interesting as you face your fears, you know, sometimes where you think you'll just cry. I didn't. I go, I have no memory here. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I didn't have any. But when I'm in church, you know, we went to church a lot together and he would hold my hand and I just miss holding his hand. I loved holding his hand. It was just so his touch was just so loving and gentle, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so one time I was at church and a younger boy, you know, like maybe between 15 and 18, right? 
was next to me and he held my hand and I just lost it. I just started crying and the poor thing. And I, I tried to hide it from him. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. missed it. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my trigger, you know, just like the skiing. I totally understand. It just depends on what it was. But boy, it just like made my heart just go, <gasps> you know, that deep, you know, and, and then it's cleansing. Yeah. You just have to let it out. You know, you just, yeah. And it's I think like a, we do cry. Scandinavians are, I, I, I know who cry. We're you know, criers. You, yep. We're criers and don't, I, and, and uh, not ashamed of it, you know. Oh, yeah. But, you, yeah. Know, today, you know, I was, I cried this morning before I talked to you because it just, you know, thinking of him, I miss him. And, and I asked my two sisters and my brother, my son and daughter, and not, and not my husband, because this is hard for him, you know, he knows I'm interviewing today, but then a friend who was more like a second mom to Jimmy. And I said, okay, was I, did I do anything right as a parent? Cause sometimes you just doubt yourself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they wrote these positive things. I said, I have this interview. I said, so, so what, what do you have to tell me about Jimmy? And what, and one, they all said he was a bright light. He would light up a room, you know, he was always smiling he loved God, you know, and he did. He brought people toward God. He had a bright, beautiful personality. You know, he was funny. He was smart. He he would do anything for anyone. And family always came first. It was so good to hear. But here's one. So I prayed all week for a sign. And I go, and I didn't get one today. And that was part of why I was crying this morning. I was I was kind of bummed. I go, I did not get a sign at all this week. And I'm talking to Marcia today. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my sister Sue wrote this morning because her daughter Gianna is my goddaughter. And I I only see them once a year. And I didn't get to see them last year because of COVID, right? And they live in Texas. Mm -hmm. So Suzette wrote to me today. She said, last night, Gigi said she had a dream of Jimmy and uh, the night before, right? So this would be two nights ago. And he said he loved her and all of us. And specifically mentioned me. This has never happened with Gigi. You know, I've heard of other people having dreams. Oh yeah, and 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 my sister said he must be sending love and support. You know, and she had no idea that you wanted a message from Jimmy, did she? No, her her husband's just getting over COVID. I mean, she the poor thing. She just is. You know, I mean, she's just getting out of quarantine. They just had a rough, you know, few weeks. So she didn't know I was, I think I told her a long time ago I was interviewing, but she's had all this other stuff going on that she didn't remember Mm -hmm. until I told her today. I have that big interview today. Yeah, that's a big That is so beautiful when that happens. I always get almost scared to ask for signs like that too, you know, like somehow be disappointed. (laughs) And then, but today it just, I, I, I had this strong, urge and it must have been God again you know what I mean okay I'm gonna write this out and I sent it out and I had no idea this would come back well that's beautiful so it does it does give me some peace oh for sure and I love how you talked about Jimmy being such a light to others because that is not what people think about when they think about people who die by suicide Right. You don't think about them being these amazing light filled people, like drawing people to God and and making people's lives happier. So I I just think that's awesome for you to really emphasize and talk about and have people realize that those are just 
bad stereotypes that that people who die by suicide are just down all the time and not you know what i'm saying you can't just say be resilient but be resilient yeah. be resilient in those four points that i mentioned go back yeah. to your screener be honest and open and jimmy was a talker and open but when you go to the doctor and then they say I don't know why you feel that way. You have a good life. Well, then you don't talk anymore, do you? I, no, you, you would never. I can't even imagine anyone saying that. I really can't. I, it's so horrifying to me. Yeah, he said to a friend, you know, I've had depression. And his friend said right away, well, you haven't tried to hurt yourself, have you? And Because and it, it is scary. So I'm just telling you that then you do stop talking again, right? Yes. When you say it in that negative way, too, you haven't done that right. yet, have you? Right. It's very accusatory, and the natural instinct is to always say no in that case. Right. I think he had a friend that was more suicidal that has had some mental issues, and he goes, you know, I'm kind of like this friend. He said to me one time, I go, well, like how, right? And then he didn't say. And now that I look back, I think in his own way, the thoughts didn't go away, but he didn't want to admit that they didn't go away. And then you start comparing yourself to others and saying, well, you know what? I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so I really shouldn't even be thinking this. And so then you yeah. just go to, I shouldn't be thinking this way, even though you still are. One does not have anything to do with the other, whether you should then, be doing something or, or whether you are. Oh, yeah. He just told a younger person, a younger high school person that, you know, a little bit about his, you know, depression or his concussions. And this person told him he was weak. It was really a strange thing, you know? So I think sometimes... Oh, my word. Our society, you know, when I pieced it back and then, you know, it's back to, I, I think I said this phrase, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? I've Exactly. I, I pray to forgive myself for not getting him, that, you know, learning about the Henry Ford health system, right? That's the one I would have had to find out of all of them to me. Mm-hmm. But I also pray to, I, I've forgiven a lot of people and, and it feels good to forgive them rather than, I don't have the energy then hang to hang on to that. I can't carry it. Well, I appreciate learning today just more about writing out a plan because I do feel like I don't probably do that the best. So when I see these kids, I definitely ask them about them. I talk about it. I screen them. We talk about the importance of therapy. But I've never once had anybody write down a plan. And I think think that's going to change for me now. I think that will be a new thing that I will add. And mm-hmm. I think that the parents should, you know, the family should be involved because everybody, he had so, Jimmy had so much support. Everybody would have tried to help him, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we're not talking about someone who wasn't engaged or didn't have support. I mean, so not uh, many go and leave us and they don't have all of the support. So I'm glad you're going to do that. And then maybe they're, they can create something. What is cognitive behavioral therapies and what, it, what are some examples that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where I mentioned yo- yoga is one, you know, prayer, meditation, there's exercise, right? You know, well, I think back even to myself when I was in college. So my mother had passed away from cancer when I was away at college. And that was extremely hard, right? It was, it was horrible. And I was really sad. And I, my low point was actually one of my friends wrote me a letter. She was like, had been a best, one of my best friends. She wrote me a letter saying she just couldn't be around me anymore because I was just so sad all the time. Like that does not help you. Right. (laughs) So then I started having 
even suicidal thoughts and and college when I'm by myself and I had you know turned to another friend who had me call a hotline and but I had been seeing a therapist there and it really was not helpful to me that particular therapist and I've been going on for quite a while and I remember my roommate saying to me you kind of seem worse every time you see her and so I found a new therapist and the new therapist was actually not a therapist it was one of our campus pastors and I felt better every time I saw her because what I needed was that spiritual peace that I didn't have from that secular counselor. Like I, yeah. But when I talked to a pastor, I felt so much better every week and I felt like I was actually starting to improve. So it wasn't like a classic therapist, but it's what I needed. So I think that's a really good point too to think outside the box a little bit and that yoga or other things can be as effective as therapy for a specific individual. Right. And I lost my brother in college too. my freshman year in college, Mm -hmm. my brother passed away and, and it was really hard on our family. And my sister and I would sing a lot together. We used to sing lean on me by Bill Withers and other songs, you know, at times I had a counselor that I tried to see and I made the counselor cry. <laughs> so I said, it wasn't helpful at all to me. I go, <laughs> no. Okay. But we would go to church and I, I think the spiritual aspect also was very helpful. No, no doubt about it. So yeah, I've had some uh, other big losses too. And that's why I think I knew I had been through a big loss already and you had yes. too. So you, yes. I, I know I navigated a little differently Although I feel like I kind of thought I was going to know what to do more than I was. It like it did knock me down more than I might have expected because I felt like I kind of knew grief and I did grief and I had gotten through grief. And then Andy dying just knocked me all the way back like I had no idea. Yeah, I got knocked down Uh, physiologically. I couldn't eat. You know, it's a physical who didn't taste good, you know, I, it was very Mm -hmm. different than losing my brother. I lost, both of my parents have been gone for 10 years and they've died older. That, that was still sad, but nothing like losing a son. This was very, Mm -hmm. very, very different, very different and harder for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Harder. But that's why I think we've talked about earlier about how everyone's grief is so unique. And so you really can't compare those things and they're all, horrible and but they're unique so that's why it's nice if you can find someone who's experiencing something similar to be able to reach out to them and that's why even siblings who have lost you know if you've lost your brother finding someone else who's lost their brother or their sister can be helpful to you as well just to be able to kind of have people who've been in those shoes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's why I do appreciate your podcast because I do relate to all of the parents that you've had on and you, and I'm so sorry for your loss and their losses. And I hope somewhere that that any of this information helps another person, you know? Yes, for sure. And I do thank you for coming on because I do think when you are grieving, sometimes that grief can feel so overwhelming that people think about suicide then too, right? Because the, the grief can be overwhelming. So I think it's good to talk about the suicide in, in that way too, just mm-hmm. for grieving people to think about uh, these things for themselves and other family members whom they love. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. but I think, our, you know, our priest said it's, it's as though you're carrying a cross that has Jimmy on it and it's heavy and it is. And sometimes I have to think of, you know, how Mary lost her son, you know, Jesus. I have to think of something different when I have that extreme overwhelming pain, you mm -hmm. know, to, to say, but I can carry it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's heavy. See my little sisu earrings. We focus on sisu, and it's a Finnish term that means one who has perseverance and fortitude and grit, and one who has guts. You know, so it's nice. Uh -huh. I think I need to get myself some of those. Yeah. I like it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Carolyn. I have really enjoyed our talk and I've learned a lot. So thank you for that as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.